Okay, welcome to uh, another episode of EMJ Live, except we're not live. This is a recording we did earlier in the week uh, with uh, Matt, Restoring the Faith Media, Mike Parrott, uh, about uh, the big incident that happened this past week, which was the resignation, actually the firing of uh, Michael Voris from his uh, position as head of uh, Church Militant TV. The uh, the announcement, I have to say, did not come as a surprise uh, to me. Uh, uh, I'm familiar with this story. Seven years ago, I was associated uh, loosely with uh, Michael Voris. He had made me an offer. He wanted me to come up and work with him. Uh, I know the man who bankrolled him, uh, Mark Bramer, uh, and that was the reason for our association. I had gone up there a number of times. I had been interviewed by him. I think that's still on the internet, uh, corresponding to the 30th anniversary of uh, Culture Wars magazine. Mm -hmm. Good interview, I thought. He knew how to ask uh, the right questions, but eventually uh, his past caught up with him. And so in the early 2016, no, in the in late 2016, fall to summer, I believe the summer of 2016, uh, the people in the homosexual demimon started posting on the internet, and they say they knew this guy. Uh, they remembered him as a big uh, part of the uh, homosexual world uh, in Detroit. He used to go on gay cruises and so on and so forth. Uh, and there was a scandal at this point, and it, uh, before it became, I think it was right around the time it became public, uh, Mark and I decided to make him an offer. Uh, basically, uh, you, your reputation has been damaged here. You really have no business being in front of a camera, given your past. However, you do have this expertise, and... Uh, uh, how about if we work it out? I'll go in front of the camera and you go behind the camera and we'll try and work something out. He agreed to that. Uh, and oddly enough, in this last uh, video he did, he is as, as now asking for the same offer. Uh, uh, no one's making the offer, as I can tell, even though it looks to me as if he's setting himself up for another comeback. Uh Judging from the com box, the, uh, re the responses in the comment box, it sounds like deja vu all over again. Uh, what I want to talk about now, uh, if you're interested, there's a book called The Man Behind the Curtain, which we will sell you. You can go into detail uh, uh, about what happened then. Uh, minute detail, I would say. Uh, but what I want to talk about now is what happened after we made that offer. That was seven years ago. Seven years ago, and it looks to me that this man did a lot of damage mm -hmm. in those seven years. I would wager to say he did more damage in the seven years after he turned down our offer than he did before. And I think one of the main uh, people who was damaged by this is Mike Parrott, who's here to talk to us today. So welcome, uh, Mike, and I'd like you to, to just tell us about what your encounter, your encounter with Michael Voris, how it began and what happened. 
Well, thanks for having me, doctor. It's a, it's an honor to be on with you and a bit of a role reversal because uh, I've had the high the uh, high honor of being able to interview you. And uh, now you're asking uh, questions of me. A lot has happened in the last uh, two years. And with picking up from your book and, and moving forward has been an, uh, has been quite the saga. Um, my interaction with Voris really began uh, two years ago. Now we had met, we have mutual circles of friends. Um, I've been a little bit more public about uh, some of that uh, after having spent time trying to protect my friends, my circle of influence and, and the people that, that I've worked with. Um, but I will say that I, I have worked uh, clandestinely in the entertainment business and 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 Voris knew that. We know some of the same people, very important and famous and, and, and whatever people. And so he always had the leverage of being able to dox me, which would remove me from that circle of people for the betterment of, you know, may, being able to produce you know, Catholic content you know, within within an evil Hollywood system. And that he he basically used that leverage after he decided that I, I should have asked him for permission to do a, a legal fundraiser for an accused priest who at the time was asserting his innocence uh, for, for very heinous crimes. Uh, this priest is named Father Jim Jackson, FSSP, um, he's the author of the book, Nothing Superfluous. He was the one-time rector of the FSSP seminary and arguably one of the faces of the traditional Latin mass in the United States. Within 90 days of moving to Providence, Rhode Island and being underneath Tobin, uh, he was arrested for possession of child pornography. Anyone, I've never met Father Jackson, never spoken to him, never even written him a letter. Um, but all of the people who did know him and knew him well said that this was impossible, mainly from a technological point of view, in which he's a Luddite. He doesn't know how to operate the dark web. He's not doing automatic file transfers, you know, while he's hearing confessions or and that sort of thing. And he doesn't even own a smartphone. The thing really uh, stunk to me and a, a sort of a consortium of, of us who care about these sorts of things thought, you know, in an age where the FBI has admitted that they're surveilling Catholics, uh, in an age where you know we're not even sure about the veracity of of, the, of whether or not our votes are being properly counted, um, does it make sense that you know that this man would have, have developed this hardcore habit within and be and be found within 90 days of living in a brand new place? Um, typical um, criminality of that sort, there would be a digital footprint left behind. So what I endeavored to do was launch a fundraiser to do two things. Number one, uh, defend Father Jack, pay for his legal defense, or at least as, as much of it as we could, um, with the assumption that in the United States, you're innocent till proven guilty. You have the right to assert your own uh, uh, innocence. You have the right to remain silent. Silence can't be used to impugn your guilt and all of these things. None of these things, by the way, does Christine Niles or Michael Forrest believe in. And then secondly, to, to put a second pair of eyes on whatever evidence we could find one way or the other. Uh, if, we, if we could encounter evidence, we would submit it to the court. If we could encounter evidence to, uh, to, that would uh, exonerate Father Jackson, we would submit it to his defense counsel. I always said, Dr. Jones, from the beginning, that we may not know Father Jackson the way we, th we thought we did. I don't even know him. Um, I, it stinks to me. I didn't think that he was guilty at the time. 
Um, but I, I have an open mind. The other thing that would qualify me to do this was just a, a background in, 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 in forensics, specifically in computing forensics, because that's basically what I did in the Marine Corps uh, active duty for six and a half years in Iraq and Afghanistan and in Asia. Um, I ran a tier one data center supporting 7,500 users across 17 different classifications, 24 hour operations. Um, you know, so I, I have some qualifications, actual written qualifications, um, uh, which I provided in discovery uh, with, with Voris. Uh, so okay, okay, now wait, wait. Uh, why would he object to this? Good question. Uh, Voris called me, uh, I was actually on a movie set uh, in, in the Deep South, setting up for a really big star to come, and I don't want to say his name, um, but the biggest of, of stars, uh, especially in the Catholic world. And Voris called me one night in a huff, and we spoke for a couple hours. And he began the conversation with, do you know who I am? And I, yes, I know who you are. Everything I say is true. If it's not true, I don't publish it. If it's not true, I don't say it. Um, that was his opening salvo. Now, wait, had he done a report on this guy? He had uh, published a report on the Father Jackson? I, th I don't think that there had been any church militant level reporting on Jackson up to that point. This would have been only a couple days after the fundraiser. And I had, I had tussled a little bit online with Niles, where she immediately said that I was committing fraud, uh, and that I was going to steal the money. So they, they made that, those accusations uh, very, very early on with, with of course, no evidence. Um, I, I, I don't understand uh, what gave them the right to do this. Well, they yeah, I mean, they viewed themselves as the arbiters of all things Catholic. So they have a monopoly on on uh, news on Catholic news. Yes, and it they, sounds and that way. It sounds that way to me. Now, I've heard stories of them fighting with other people. That uh, Boris ended up fighting with just about everybody. Yeah, uh, the SSPX, also LifeSite News. Uh, was that the uh, the issue? There was a monopoly. He, certain people have a monopoly on other personalities, and so therefore you're infringing on some type of copyright. Is this like a copyright infringement that uh, Voris is charging you with? Well, I think it's it was actually kind of two things in my view. I mean, the first thing was the unbelievable amount of money that got raised uh, practically overnight. I mean, over $140,000 from people all across the country and around the world. Uh, a, a huge level number of donors making small donations to defend Father Jim Jackson. So I think there was an astounding amount of money that was raised. And by the way, it was raised twice. Because at first we, we used um, uh, whatever the, the kind of main crowdfunding website there is that's very liberal, and that got shut down and the money was refunded to everybody. And there was a cooling off period and everybody had the, you know, I, I was accused of, of emotionally manipulating people and saying, you know, I'm going to exonerate Jackson and all this stuff. And people made these emotional decisions to, to donate to the cause. Well, they all got their money back, and then they donated again, and and even then, some days later. So, I think it was. Are you talking? Are you talking about Niles and Voris making these accusations? Yes. Okay. Good. Yes, Niles and Voris accused me of 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 uh, manipulating people, lying about uh, my my alleged access to to 
they 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 were spinning my words in a way to to imply that I was going to somehow get access to the evidence that the Department of Homeland Security had. I never implied that, nor 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 even said it. Um, I always was talking about uh, the fact that there's there's got to be a digital footprint in Denver, in Oklahoma, in other places where where Father Jackson had been stationed. And at the time that I was making those comments, and I'm revealing this for the first time with you and to your audience. I had access to those things. I had permission from the FSSP. I had permission from local clerics there to go in, to interview people, to conduct uh, human source interviews, to scan hard drives. That all was going to happen. Uh, furthermore, I had hired actually two forensics teams at that time, or at least signed, uh, signed contracts with them, uh, one of which got scared off once Boris and Niles intervened. And so Father Jackson will did, did not have the benefit of a former retired top level FBI forensics uh, computer forensics team uh, that was that had agreed to take this case and had agreed to go to various places, including Denver and his hometown uh, in Overland Park, et cetera, and scan scan drives and look for digital footprints. Um, well, I'm I'm still trying to I'm still struggling with their motivation. Can you give me some sense of what motivated them to do this? Well, I, I can tell you what Voris told me on the phone, which was that unless Jim Jackson goes on the vortex and asserts his innocence and asks for Michael Voris to help him, then he's guilty. He's 100% guilty. <laughs> so he wanted to do it. He wanted to own the guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, his, his motive from the beginning was very, was very, very plainly visible. He wants to be the arbiter of all things Catholic because he is the savior of the Catholic Church. And he he calls the balls and the strikes and he decides who wins and loses. Okay. Okay. I mean, I said uh, he was a narcissist, but you're, uh, this is really a surprise to me. I mean, the depth of this, this type of narcissism is something that I was unaware of. I mean, this happened after my book came out. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it continued on. So essentially where I left it with Voris was, you know what, um, I'm going to think about what you're telling me and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And that's when the blackmailing started happening. So uh, Christine Niles sent me an email that said, unless you give back every single penny, this was the legal defense fund for a priest who was asserting his innocence, unless you give back every single penny, we're going to smear you. And she put that, that, in was that. Was that the word smear? Is that the word she used? She said, she said we're, go, uh, we're going to report on your financial dealings and we're going to, you know, uh, basically. I mean, she didn't say the word smear. Okay. But uh, that, that, language that she sent me and then the language that Voris texted me I have I have I have confirmed with retired district attorneys it is classic textbook extortion it is criminal extortion they were trying to manipulate me for their own gain because they wanted the scoop on the story they wanted to control the narrative they wanted the clicks uh, so there there was an actual gain to be had by them and it is criminal what they did and so what did I that, what did I, that include the money? They wanted the money too. They wanted to be in charge of fundraising. Well, that's a good question because later on, so fast forward, they sued me because I, I released the extortion and I called it extortion and I still believe it's extortion. And uh, what, what was the, what was the charge in the lawsuit? They, they, uh, they sued me for defamation 
uh, amongst other, I think, little frivolous things. I don't even remember what they were. That They were all flim-flam. But they said that I was defaming them by accusing them of criminal uh, extortion. Um, and so I, uh, I, I sued back uh, because by that point, they started accusing me of stealing the money. Um, but to your point about the money, the money I think is, is essential here and it's, and it's half the story and it's, and it's half the reason why Voris is out, to be honest, uh, uh, with, with respect to the money. These people sent um, subpoenas to give SendGo to try to get the donors list. They wanted that donors list. They tried to get it through discovery. They tried to get a court in Michigan to compel give send go Twitter, anyone that they could subpoena to, tr to turn over documents so that they could get access to those generous people who raised $146,000 for father Jim Jackson in 48 hours. Um, when I started accusing them of just trying to get the donor list, which thank God they never did. Um, and, and one of the reasons why I, I endured in the in the protracted litigation was to protect those people because the, I didn't want those those people's names to to get into Voris's hands and uh, uh, even up until today no human being besides myself has ever seen that list or has access to it um, so I'm very proud of the fact that that I was able to protect the donors but I they wanted that list there's no yeah, question. it sounds that way sounds that way. Uh, uh, for for fund for fundraising, yeah, I mean, with these would be people. Some of them, some of them, some people gave multiple thousands of dollars, you know. And and at the time in uh, in late 2021, um, when basically they they started texting my business partners, um, even some of the talent that we had uh, lined up for some future projects, they were they were telling them what a bad guy I was, how I was a thief how I was going to go down as being tied to this pedo priest and that this pedo priest was going to sink our projects and our company and they had better just fire me. And they put these things into writing and they blackmailed my, my friends and colleagues and then they threatened them that we're going to get you into the litigation as well and we're going to start subpoenaing you. We're going to put you under oath. We're going to depose you. We're going to go after all your friends if you don't cut Mike Parrott loose. And you know, I don't, I don't blame my my former colleagues for cutting me loose. Um, so we, um, I we always had we always knew that we were in a dangerous position. You know, being deeply embedded. You know, we we sold a, a TV series to Netflix. We sold a movie to Disney. Deep underground, producing Catholic stuff, very clean, very family friendly stuff, but not a Catholic production company. You know, and so we were behind enemy lines at all times, and we always knew that if any one of us became compromised. We would cut that guy loose. Well, that turned out to be me. I was cut loose, and for two years, I was I was not able to, out of deference to my former colleagues, even discuss what industry I got fired from. You know, I went out, I went public, and I said, "Hey, Voris doxed my home. He doxed my name. He doxed where I live. Um, they started uh, they started getting my financial records via discovery. He started he started doxing the fact that I had." done the Dave's Ramsey method and paid off my home mortgage, you know, because I don't believe in usury. And so then they started telling people that I'm some fraudulent rich guy because I've been cutting coupons for the last 25 years. Um, this is, they, I, I heard also they went to the Marines. Christine Niles went to the Marines. She so did. What was she that did. about? To get you a dishonorable discharge? To cut off your pension or what? That's right. Yeah, I, I had accrued 15 honorable years of service at that point. You need to get to 20. 
And Christine Niles opened up a formal complaint with the United States Marine Corps. And she asserted that I was unfit for duty because I believe in traditional marriage, because I don't believe that the anus is a sex organ. And she testified to that fact under oath. And the recordings of that are available online. She disputes them. She says, it's not my voice. I didn't say that. Release the whole context. But the context is clear. She she weaponized the government against her enemy, her perceived enemy. She also testified that she opened up criminal complaints. She filed criminal complaints with federal authorities uh, and in two states. She, she went to the district attorney uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. She went to the district attorney of Eastern Michigan, and she went to the district attorney of Kansas City. She, she, she wanted me in jail. She wanted me divorced. She wanted my children fatherless like her children are fatherless. Yeah, this is serious business. Uh, uh, th this I, I'm, I'm kind of, to be honest with you, I'm kind of stunned at the magnitude of the, the, the vicious behavior here. Is, mm -hmm. is this, uh, it, it remind, so he wants to be the leader. Yeah. Is that right? I mean, uh, the leader of what? The leader of what? I mean, you know, at the at that point in time, this was before Church Militant really began its downward financial spiral, which I'm sure we'll talk about. At that point in time, he was talking about founding the alternative magisterium. Okay. And, and is, that, the, is that his word? Is that, that his word? That's his phraseology. He called it the alternative, alternative magisterium. magisterium. This is serious. <laughs> as you know, I mean, as you know, there's only one magisterium. There can't be two. And Michael Voris was saying that he he has a secret um, he has a secret council of twenty one priests who uh, are nameless, and he controls them, and that they would begin issuing documents of the alternative magisterium so that you can come to church militant for the authentic, true, authentic Catholic faith. This He's is unbelievable. Leader. This is unbelievable. So it was an attempt to create a, a parachurch, a, a, a new church. What, what do we call this? Isn't this schism? Is, is this what this is? A, a schismatic movement? Uh, I mean, it, it is, it, he appointed himself as kingmaker. And to your point, he attacked everyone from you and Taylor Marshall and John Henry Weston. Um, and and he, just, he just savaged everybody. I'm not the only person, though, that they doxed, that they have gone after personally with, with viciousness. I mean, there are there are other Catholic men, husbands, fathers. It seemed as though there uh, there became a pattern which emerged that they would really they really started going after family guys. And then when you regress that against who's running church militant, it's people either without families or broken families. Yeah. I mean, there are there are practically no children in the entire church militant organization. None. You know, you've got you've got barren uh, homosexuals and fag hags in 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 uh, in Niles, um, and and nobody has a normal, well ordered relationship with their family. Dave Gordon uh, might be the most normal of the bunch, and I don't think anybody would accuse him of being normal. There, so we're talking about uh, this. This began uh, in let's say 2021. Is that when this started? That's right. Okay. Now, up to uh, uh, my understanding is up uh, that there was a a significant downturn after my book came out, uh, right in 2016, and that there was he complained about it. He said that uh, Google had switched the algorithm on. He blamed it on that and not on his own revelation that he was a homosexual, mm -hmm. and that it didn't come back. 
the thing that saved him was the McCarrick scandal, which was 2018. That's right. That's uh, right. Now, are we... Is he the only guy who wants a parachurch, or are we talking about a group of people who are fighting over who's going to be who's going to be the boss here? <laughs> no, I, I think the level of homo narcissism with Michael Voris, or I sh we should call him Gary Michael Voris, uh, is is quite enough for for uh, the whole the whole group to be to be honest. You're right. You are a hundred percent right that the summer of shame uh, with McCarrick saved church militant and that summer they realized they reached record numbers of people record clicks record numbers of traffic and and ads and, and memberships and all of that after the high of that experience in which michael voris you know uh basically played kingmaker and he, and he brought in james grind and and he sort of invented that whole that whole uh uh, uh story as well not not that james invented his story, but he he launched James Grind. Then he's got the Cancel Priest, all these things going on. Voris was desperate for another McCarrick moment. And multiple witnesses, multiple people who worked there and either don't or or have privately confided to me, uh, at breaking their NDAs, I suppose, every single week, every time he would lose his temper, he would say, we need another McCarrick moment. Somebody find me another McCarrick. Uh, we have to have that level of traffic. We have to have that level of revenue. It became a perversion of the business model that there must be scandal. There must be smut. And they've got to be the ones to break it. And so when so, you get to 2021 and there isn't another McCarrick, they started inventing their own McCarricks. So they sued the city of Baltimore and then reported as news their own lawsuit. They sued me and then reported as news their own lawsuit. Now, wait. Now, what about Dolan? Was he the next McCarrick? When did that whole thing go down with, with Dolan and McQuelly? Do you remember? Do you know the story I'm talking yeah, about the here? McQuelly, so the McQuelly story would have been in 2019 or 2020. Okay. But it didn't get as much traction as McCarrick. It just well, it didn't. didn't work. It didn't work. But, I mean, is that was that the sequel? Because I, I saw that. I, I, I watched uh, those videos. Where uh, Boris goes to the parish and he says, "You got these poor people, these poor parishioners sitting there, and it's like the 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 gay bar. It's like this the S and M dungeon here. The way he's treating these people, and he says, uh, say it, Dolan's got to go. Say it, say it.' And they were kind of shocked, like, what's going on here? You yeah. know, he, he he couldn't get he couldn't get over that because he has this." memory i think of being in the seminary and being expelled from the seminary he was in the seminary with mcquelly it's obvious that there were people who were in the seminary who were just as guilty of homosexual behavior as he was i don't know the story was he more flaming than than the other people there uh but he obviously held the a grudge against the hierarchy of the catholic church yeah and that that was they were going to be the victims and he was going to prove that uh, apparently from what you're saying he was going to replace them yeah his goal was was certainly to replace them uh with this authentic magisterium that that uh it was a false start uh, it didn't it really failed to launch people called it for what it was and and they soon abandoned it but that precipitated that period of time in 2021 2022 this really precipitated the financial downfall of the organization because of your book they had to structurally reorganize 
their articles of, of incorporation and all of all this other stuff. There's one, there's one major thing that was not covered in your book. And I know you, I assume you know about it and, 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 and we can talk about it. It's the, it's the through line of the double trouble concept communications, the for profit and all of that stuff. I know you, you covered some of it in the, in the book. They, because of your, your book came out late 16 by January of 17, they shut down concept communications and they tried to hide it. Concept communications produced a gay porn called double trouble. Concept was co-owned by Gary Michael Voris and John Fitzgerald Mola, his one-time lover, and they lived in a house together in the late 90s, and they engaged in fraudulent refinancings of the house back and forth. They would, quote-unquote, sell the house to each other and take cash out of the house. They did this like 10 or 20 times. You can check the county records for, for God's sake. They were running a brothel in this house, and... Those two produced a gay pornography called Double Trouble with a special purpose entity called Concept Communications. They set up Concept in June of 97, and in July, they registered the copyright of Double Trouble. And that copyright is still registered uh, with, with the United States government. It still exists. It's all publicly verifiable. Now, say what, day, what date was that again? 2000? July of 97. 97, Okay. So that entity, Concept Communications, became Michael Voris's personal uh, uh, media company that was founded by gay porn. And that entity would then become Real Catholic TV and then become Church Militant. So it is, in a very real sense, you can say that the, the seed money to Church Militant was always faggotry. It was always gay porn. Um, and this is a detail that is, you can find now because of your book, they panicked and you can see that they panicked because in, in early 2017, January, the accountant signed all of these papers with the secretary of state of Michigan, shutting down concept communications and moving everything over to the 501c3, uh, which is St. Michael's media doing a name change on St. Michael's to call it church militant. But then, in this, uh, but then years later, just one or two years later, then they set up the 501c4. That's a political action committee. And the C4 and the C3 sit side by side with each other. And I know that this gets very complicated for people to understand the corporate structure and all of this, but this is essential that, 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 that it be known that they once had a for-profit entity that was basically siphoning money out of the 501c3 and into Voris's pocket, slush fund, dark money, uh, highly illegal. Uh, IRS should have looked into it. I think the secretary of state of Michigan looked into it. Didn't not- you, didn't you try and get uh, Dana Nestle to look into this? I did. And I, I dropped off some paperwork with some very uh, interesting people. And, and as far as I know, those investigations may still be ongoing. I, I don't, I don't know the, the status of all of that. But they set up a they set up a, a 501c4 called Church Militant, of which Voris is also in control. Now, here's the big question that hasn't been answered yet. Voris may have resigned from St. Michael's Media, the 501c3, but who controls the 501c4, which is the big money? It's 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 bigger money and it's less accountable and less reportable. You can pull the 990 reports from the 501c3. You can see who the boards of director members are uh, and how much money they've been losing every quarter. You cannot pull the 501c4 stuff unless they release it on their website. Um, so, 
That- now, when when you say this, uh, I, I'd like to get your reaction to his uh, video with a video he made after Church Militant uh, released the, uh, the, the said he was fired. Yeah. Uh, he kept talking about the apostolate, you know, uh, apostle, apostolate comes from apostle yeah. and apostle, the bishops are the successors of the apostles. And, uh, he spent all his time attacking bishops. The bishops were the one who forced him to change the name. Uh, it was called real Catholic TV. Yeah. Uh, and then he had to change it to Church Milton. Mark Bramer uh, brokered that deal between Bishop Vigneron and uh, Bishop Rhodes because it wasn't clear. At that point, uh, they were claiming that the headquarters were in South Bend because he was the one who was, Mark Bramer was getting the money. That's right. Uh, but that all changed after they brokered the, uh, uh, after they, they brokered the deal. And then the money just went uh, uh, straight to Voris uh, in, in Detroit. But the question is, uh, what do you, do you think? So you said that the magisterium that he was trying to that that failed. Do you think that they needed a bishop to do what they were doing? Oh, uh, there's no question. I mean, look, you you and I we we run podcasts and and we 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 do news commentary. When you start claiming that you're saving souls, first of all, the only person who saves souls is the Holy Ghost. I mean, if that, I mean, that, that, it's the Blessed Trinity. Okay. Um, so when you start claiming that you have an apostolate, that implies that there that there is a bishop involved, because th- there's no such thing as an apostolate without a bishop. So clearly they do need a bishop, and they're they're on the outs with their bishop uh, at all times, and uh, and didn't seem to care. In fact, that was a that was a pretty good setup for them because then they could position themselves as quote unquote outsiders. Um, I, I I think I think as you dig deeper though into uh, sort of the motivation for what what drives Michael Voris, um, you've 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 dug as deep as as anyone, and your analysis remains truer today than it was in 2016. He wants to portray himself as this macho guy, and he really relishes the fact that uh, you know being a, a, a semi bodybuilder and whatever that that people. That he was as flaming as it as they come, but most people uh, were deceived and didn't know it. And he really relished living that double life. Um, how so- long how, was he always living a double life? Was there ever a moment where he wasn't? Was there a true conversion there at the beginning, or was it always deception? Um, from your point of view. Um, you know, I I don't actually know the answer to that question, Doctor. I if I if I did, I would tell you. Uh, all I can say is that that type of sin, that unnatural sin, leaves such deep scars and and wounds the soul, and can only be excised by very serious, deliberate, private, quiet penance. And he never did that. He went from pretending to be, you know, basically being a journalist to pretending to be a journalist. And I think he was always playing dress up when he was doing, you know, the vortex and and church militant. What he was always trying to reconstruct uh, with to the tune of millions of dollars, a $2 million studio, millions of dollars of video equipment, you know, the pit, uh, which emulated the NBC that he used to work for. He was always trying to reconstruct every detail of his gay lifestyle without necessarily 
having the gay, the, 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 the faggotry involved. So he, he's got mixed was, was he trying involved. to tell everyone that I'm still this way? Do you think that was part of it? I mean, well, I, why else would you do these? I've, I've dealt with this phenomenon in literature. It's in the Scarlet Letter, you know, where the minister is guilty of adultery and he, he exposes his chest uh, in the second scaffold scene, but it's midnight and nobody can see it. So there's this kind of ambivalence here. Like, I want to tell you, but yeah. don't ask. I, it's like, I want to tell you, but I don't. Yeah. Now, Christine Niles, I don't know whether you saw her video, uh, but she came out right after Michael Voris's video. And then she said, look, I'm not going to, hey, I'm not going to go into details. And then she said, well, funny, funniest part of the video was, I'm not into detraction. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. said, I said, if there's, if there's one guy who knows it, it's Mike Parrott. You're not into yeah. detraction. You're into slander. Yeah. Okay. She's, she's in the business. She literally was paid to, to smear people. Uh, and that was her, her job that she invented special projects. She couldn't run news because she was incapable of keeping up with it. I, I here's, here's a really funny but, thing. But I, there's one thing I wanted to say though, is that she said that he changed toward yeah. the end. That was part of it. Like he wasn't going in anymore. Uh, he he just wasn't the presence that he was. He he didn't lead prayer. Do you think that's when he when he fell off the wagon? Like say within uh, the last couple months, that the the contradiction was too hard, too difficult to bear, and he just collapsed because of the the, the psychic energy he needed to preserve this contradiction. Right. I, I don't think I would not be surprised to discover that he had been had on again and off again uh, homosexual encounters for the entire time that he ran the apostolate. I my my sourcing and, and folks who have talked to me who have worked there have told me that there had that there is gay pornography on the hard drives in Ferndale. Um, and this is people who work there. In this, 20 this, is a, this is an interesting incident, though. Apparently, he called uh, one of the young staffers to his house, uh, told him we're going to work together and we have to go to the laptop. The guy opens the laptop and there's gay pornography there. Yeah. Now, is he trying to tell us something here? Is he trying to tell this guy something? Is he trying to right. like, I, I have to tell you uh, what's going on? You know, in me, did, was he kept it? Was he driven like a, a compulsion to expose yeah. himself to, yeah. to the people? Well, he he partially exposed his body to several people who work for him. I mean, he would he would routinely send scantily clothed pictures of himself to the young 20 something single men that he was constantly surrounded by. Uh, I've put one or two of them out on Twitter. Some of them are too lewd to post to Twitter. You can you can very clearly see uh, semi erect members of his body in the pictures that he would send to his in in any other universe this would be a violation of law because it would be sexual harassment but what he used to do it I believe is called sexual harassment of the male staffers that he always insisted on being surrounded by. So I so to your point, if he's if he's if he wants to expose himself, I mean he literally exposes his body to to these young guys, and maybe he's wondering if any of them are going to take that as a sign, and who knows how many of them he's actually you know gone corrupted physically, committed violence to um, to their bodies. Um, so so I, the the end, was the end goal the I am a homosexual. And I am the magisterium of the Catholic Church. 
and you, the world has to accept me on my terms. Is that, is that where we're heading here? I, I, I suppose that that would be a good summary of, of the psychology of, of Michael Voris. Yes, because the now in his video and, and, and I do I have a funny uh, observation about Niles's video, too. But in his video, he affirmed something that you said that was explosive in your book. You made you you made the the observation or the claim or the argument that his own father that he revered uh, molested him. uh when he was very young, Voris says no less than three or four times that he has been dealing with this demon for 60 years. He's 62 years old. Right. I mean, I think that, that's, a I noticed that I did notice that that came, that popped up when he started talking about. It. So one of the things that he, uh, I had a personal encounter with him at the call to holiness, uh, conference. It was the 25th anniversary. I was one of the speakers at the original one. He shows up with his entourage. I thought, well, I'll say hello. And then he just kind of brushes me off. But he mentioned that what I said about his father, all the stuff that I said, that's what he mentioned uh, right. in that personal encounter. And then I walked away and then he came over to the table and he, he said to me, if I weren't such a gentleman, I'd deck you. And I thought, which which is the more preposterous claim that you're a gentleman or that you can deck me? Uh, <laughs> but it was it was clear that first of all he was upset about that, and then now in this video he's bringing it back up again in a kind of a veiled way. And he, and he's admitting it. He's he's admitting that it's true without naming it. You know, he's he's giving you he's he he wants to expose himself so badly. He wants you to know the truth so badly, but he just doesn't have the courage to say it. So he wants to imply it. And this is this is actually kind of how church militant operated for years. They would make uh, they would make do sort of smear by innuendo. They would they would um, uh, assume that things would be that conclusions would be drawn from the various attacks that they would give on people, uh, because in lieu of providing actual facts or actual, you know, smoking gun evidence of, of any of the various salacious things that they that they wanted to get out there. As, as terms in terms of Niles questioning whether or not Voris changed in the last two years, I thought the second funniest thing about her video was that she disagreed with the direction of Church Militant. Everybody who knows anything about Church Militant, and you know, I'm I'm probably right now the central clearinghouse for all things CM. Anybody who knows anything about them knows that the direction of smearing and attacking and inventing news and scandal knows that she's she's the scandal whore. I mean, she's the one who loves to attack people, loves to sue people. She casually threatens to sue people all the time. She simulates being a, a licensed attorney when she's not a licensed and good standing attorney. She asserted attorney-client privilege in, in the federal case that they're fighting right now, where no such privilege exists because she's not of counsel and she's not- Are, are, you, ta are you talking about the Delaire uh, yes. lawsuit from New Hampshire? Yes. And that then finally, and most shockingly, I mean, she put out a what, what, however long the twelve-minute video or fifteen-minute video where she goes on and on and on about how Voris had changed because he stopped showing up to chapel. Well, one of the employees just put out a video yesterday claiming that Niles never showed up to chapel. In fact, she didn't even stumble into to work uh, until after Angelus at noon. So she had her own exemptions, and she was never there. And she had her own her own working habits. So how does she know that he's not there in the morning if she's not there in the morning? So again, it's just simulation after simulation and dissimulation and making this making the same claim of someone else that you're actually doing. 
half the half the things that they accuse me of 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 fraud and stealing money and blackmail and wire fraud they are themselves guilty of yeah that would make sense i'd like to look at this from a a a theological perspective and the thing that occurred to me while i was doing this research is that the chapter i think it's from two timothy where uh, i think paul says there will come a time when people will not tolerate sound doctrine Uh, They will have itching ears and they will hire people who pander to their own lusts. Is that what we're talking about here? I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to let Michael off the hook here. He certainly has enough to keep him on the hook, but he couldn't have done this by himself. No. No, So who, who, who are we talking about here? Who is this constituency out there? Is it the people with itching ears? I mean, what are we talking about? Well, it's got to be. I mean, look, this is uh, half the stuff that the, the scandal mongering and, 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 and the clickbait. And it, it's it's all about the audience. It's all about the, the quote unquote apostolate. When Forrest texted me, one of the last things he texted me is no all capital letters. No one attacks my apostolate. Voris is childless. He's familyless. He has no heirs. He will leave no legacy on planet Earth. Um, this is why uh, most homosexuals turn to grooming so that they can groom their successors or, or child, sec- child trafficking where they can just adopt children. Um, his version of that is this quote unquote apostolate. His version of replicating himself, which we have a need to do, we have a carnal need to do that, is this holy apostolate. So to take this away from him is probably the most dangerous thing that has happened to Michael Voris since his dad was raping him. And because here's why now he is a, he is a man with nothing left to lose. He is extremely dangerous. He's in a low point in his life. He's been humiliated, which for a homo narcissist is basically worse than death. Um, So I would not, I would not put anything past Voris in terms of trying to make a comeback. He even announced that he wants to make a comeback in the final seconds of his missive, he said, I'll be back in front of cameras. He has to do this. This is compulsive to him. But to your point of, of tickling people's ears, controversy sells, sex sells, Voris figured this out, and that's what Church Militant is built on. It's not only built on double trouble and, and, and profiteering off of gay pornography, it's also built on scandal mongering and inciting hatred against the hierarchy so that you can then assert yourself as the substitute towards that hierarchy that you have. Yeah, I think that's absolutely clear. That's absolutely clear. And from my reading of the comments after his speech, uh, it tells me is if he's succeeding, he's succeeding with a certain group of people. Is, is, that, is that your impression? Yeah, who, there's no question who, about who that. Are, who are these people? There's I no mean, question about that. Yeah. These people, I'll tell you who these people are. They're low information GOP uh, boomers is what they are. These people, they like Voris because he's got fight in him. They don't follow all the details. They're never going to listen to this podcast. They don't know any of the gruesome and horrible stuff that he's done. They probably don't know that he's gay. But what they do know is that there's a problem in the church and he's proposing a solution. And his solution is the bullhorn and the bully pulpit. And they like that because a lot of Americans, especially I would say, you know, Gen Xers and above Americans believe that the way you get stuff done in this country is to hold up picket signs and hold people accountable and sue them and make a big ruckus out of it. And so this is basically playing into the Americanist heresy, which is to do a bias for action rather than a bias for holiness. 
a bias for uh, man's work rather than a bias for grace. Right, right. One of the one of the passages that precedes the one I, I just quoted to you from 2 Timothy is St. Paul talking about silly women who are obsessed with their sins. Now, I talked to Milo. Milo said that's a big constituency. He didn't refer to it in quite those terms, but he said that was a big constituency, uh, constituency at, at uh, Church Millet. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. They, a lot of women are supporting Church Millet. And I would say that their audience probably skews 70-30, if I had to guess. Um, and this is, this is why uh, Niles was so important to the operation as well because she presented, uh, at least publicly, a softer side to Voris. Voris could spin his pen and talk about, you know, trapping uh, all the falsehoods. Meanwhile, she was the doing the one doing the dirty work behind the scenes of suing people and blackmailing people. You know, they kept a bunch of perverts on staff, uh, Doctor. I mean, look, uh, they hired an actual Nazi named Anthony per uh, Perla, like an actual neo-Nazi, uh, which is, he, he's laughable, and he was a pornographer. He was censured by his own priest in Los Angeles for being a pornographer um, in, in, in a very public way. Anybody could have found this document. She claims to be an investigative reporter. She hired him. They kept uh, the, the, uh, the, the CFO on forever. Uh, his name's Simon Raff, and he was also doing like he's the chief of staff. Simon Raff was writing perverted gay elvish porn short stories online under a pseudoname. Uh, he gave his he gave his crocodile apology and shed a tear. They kept him on and promoted him. So the whole organization is rotten from the inside out, and um, and everybody knows. Well, so this well, goes. What well, was where did was there some type of failure? Isn't this what the whole uh, let's say that the uh, when the bishops got together, when Vigneron got together with Rhodes and. Uh, uh, um, Mark Bramer brokered the name change deal. Yeah. Is is that it? Are we completely defenseless against this type of thing? Is, well, uh, did 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 the bishops do their job? Or yeah. uh, what maybe maybe they couldn't do anything. Once they took the name off, what are they supposed to do? He's got no standing in the church. You can, I guess you can't stop people from uh, uh doing podcasts. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out where where the uh, the culpability lies here because he as I said before he couldn't do it by himself. No, well let me throw a curveball at you then, and this is just a, a a theory that some are kicking around, and I don't know if there's any veracity to it. But one of the things you can learn about your enemy is not only who they attack, but who they don't attack. These people position themselves as the sex smut you know arbiters of 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 all of Catholic news. But then you look at the sex and smut things that happened in the Catholic Church during their tenure that they didn't report on. One of those is Bishop Robert Barron and all of those bodybuilding, uh, uh, basically uh, sexual predators that he used to work with and, and keep in, in his employment. Another one is a guy named Jim Graham, who was at the Texas Right for Life, who is a serial adulterer who ran around with Carrie Beckman. And they were the, they were the two people who co-founded Veritatis Splendor. So you start to you start to throw now, at, at that at that line. point at that point someone else enters the picture, and that's Bishop Strickland. Yes. Now was he the man? Was he the man that all of these guys were trying to land? I mean, I've seen the LifeSite News videos of Strickland. He got fired one week. What was it? One week before Boris. Yeah. It, it it coincided. Is there a connection here? Well, it's a, it, there, there's, a, there's an interesting connection between Michael Voris and Tyler, Texas. 
And so I'm going to be very careful with what I say and, I, and only only tell you what I what I my eyes have seen on these documents. But there are there are a set of documents of Boris reincorporating church militant and St. Michael's media into the state of Texas. Um, there was a movement afoot with Jim Graham, who was a, a sleazy used car salesman uh, who, who destroyed two people's families, but he could raise money. And so he was never reported on. Jim Graham was on the board of Veritatis Splendor. For those who don't know, Veritatis Splendor was a 600-acre or 6,000-acre huge master plan Catholic community outside of Tyler, Texas. Strickland put his name on it at first. He gave it an endorsement, and then later on he pulled out. And he said, when, I, don't, when, I don't want anything When to do did he this. pull out? When Do you know when he pulled out? Uh, this would have been within the last two years, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember the date. Uh, but he pulled out, let's say, fairly recently. There was th this project was wrought with financial mismanagement. They didn't, they couldn't break ground on anything. They took in thousands of of deposits from from people who wanted to move uh, to Tyler, Texas, to be underneath Bishop Strickland and to build this Catholic paradise. And in this Catholic paradise, there were going to be a number of things: vocational training, uh, a chapel, um, a grocery store, and a media center. And I have it on good authority that Jim Graham was trying to broker the deal where Church Militant would become the media center for Veritatis Splendor in Tyler, Texas. Now, there, this should send reverberations and shockwaves and red alarm bells through everybody because these well, people— wait. Especially the bishops. Uh, especially the bishops. Absolutely. Now, now uh, Strickland is going on places like LifeSite News and Taylor Marshall— and saying basically, I was fired for being a good Catholic. Uh, are you trying to tell me that the bishops didn't know about this? Uh, that uh, what was going on in Tyler? Or there, there's another example I could bring up uh, that uh, L.A. Dodgers Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence rally. Uh, it was Strickland and Boris uh, together. Yes. Uh, and at that point. Uh, Archbishop Gomez, the the ordinary of Los Angeles, was upset, yeah. Because because first of all, uh, Strickland did not ask for permission to go in and do this, and when he does do it, he gives the same impression that Boris is giving that the the hierarchy can't be trusted to do anything. Where, right. Whereas in the, in effect, Gomez had written a statement that was a strong statement protesting what was going on, but it was eclipsed by this publicity stunt that made him look as if he weren't doing his job. That's right. Yeah. And, and that, that was a very, very subversive from, from uh, Gomez's point of view, not, not to, not that Gomez is that great of a, of an ordinary. He, uh, he was at one point, my ordinary, in fact, twice, uh, both in Texas and in California. But uh, let me just say this about the Tyler connection. Um, there's there can be no doubt that Bishop Strickland was very cozy with church militants coming on to the vortex and, and be appearing with them and doing podcasts with them in the intervening years before the before the Jim Graham adultery incident, which nuked Veritatis Splendor, kicked Carrie Beckman off the board of directors of that. She resigned also from Regina Chaley, which is a homeschooling co-op very popular uh, that she had founded. And she she needs to focus on fixing her family uh, and her affairs, but um, pun intended. But but 
the document, there are documents that show that Church Militant intended to move to Tyler, Texas. And that corroborates what I have been told about them being selected by Bishop Strickland to be the media arm of Veritatis Splendor. And this would be a clever way for them to get out from the mounting debt on those on the new Catholic Fox News studio that they built on the back of the Summer of Shame with McCarrick and that they could never recapture that magic and that level of scandal and that level of clicks and 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 through rates. So this so, this would have given this would have given Boris the respectability that he that he craved, because yeah. he would have the endorsement of a bishop. Yeah. Well, I can imagine other bishops uh, being upset about this. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, look. Um, First of all, if you're if he's in charge of a media center, what type of media personalities is he going to create there? A, a whole new generation of bishop bashers, right? You mean to tell me the bishops can't put two and two together here and realize this would be a, a catastrophe right. for the church? It leads me to believe that it wasn't coincidence that they both went down around the same time. Look, I, I, I have no doubt about the personal uh, uh, sanctity of, of His Excellency, um, and, and I have no problems with Bishop Strickland, and if he ever hears these words, I just want him to know that I, I think he's very sincere, I think he's a Catholic man, um, but I don't buy the story that he was sacked merely because he would oppose the, uh, the the COVID vaccine or because of the LA Dodgers thing. No, he I, said, he said traditionis custodis. He said it was because he did not implement traditionis custodis. Right. But how many, many, I, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. The no. diocese, the ordinary South Bend, Indiana, that diocese has not implemented it. It hasn't. I was in Dallas. I went to the FSSB mass in Dallas. They haven't implemented. Boston hasn't implemented. There are all sorts of dioceses that haven't implemented. It hardly right. seems to me, it seems like selective prosecution if you go after uh, uh, Strickland for that. Right, exactly. Well, and, and that's what we saw with the fall of Voris in general. He had been, I mean, as, as from, from things I'm being told, his moral failings were well known and, and, and been going on for much longer than two weeks. But, but to prosecute him or, or to oust him over the morality clause is, is selective prosecution. It's a ruse to cover up the fact that he had just blown through $20 million and couldn't account for it and had nothing to show for it, and has a declining audience, mounting debt, couldn't make payments. They had a layoff earlier this year where they laid off a third of their workforce. There's going to be another layoff, uh, not just because of Voris's ouster, but because they're out of cash. They are out of cash because they chose to spend millions of dollars going after guys like me. So, so, but, but when you when you want to save an organization and go ask for money. You don't tell them the truth that says, hey, we, we pissed away a bunch of money, so can you give us more? So that's why you have the morality clause being invoked for his ouster. No, it has nothing to do with the money. No, the, everything is perfectly fine. Don't unsubscribe from us. Keep the money flowing. So the, the worst thing they could do would be tell the truth that he was a financial fraudster and a mismanager. Yeah, I think that's a powerful statement. Anyway, I've held you on for an hour here. This has been a really uh, powerful interview. Uh, I, 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 think you, I think you've been vindicated. <laughs> I think you deserved that drink that you had when you uh, made that video. Uh, but I think that our main concern here is Boris 
and the comeback. Yes. <laughs> I think you're right in saying that this man cannot survive without the camera on him. It's like depriving him of oxygen when you're this type of narcissist. He's going to try and come back, and there are lots of gullible people out there. Uh, ben Franklin once said that experience keeps an expensive school, but fools will learn in no other. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln said you can fool some of the people some of the time, all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Is that true? Or is this guy going to make uh, uh, his his comeback? And uh, what will the consequences be at that point? Anyway, thanks for being on, Mike. I appreciate it. I wish you well in your ventures, whatever they are. Thank you, sir. It was an honor.